This show is for every woman who has accepted pain and discomfort as inherent to being a woman, or who has denied any part of themselves to make it or feel accepted. Women of reproductive age have been left out of a lot of research because our bodies and our hormones are considered too complicated. What is worse is this idea trickles down to education, leaving most women with very little information about how their bodies work. Not only are we not taught how our bodies work, but once you start asking questions, it is surprisingly difficult to find answers. I believe that every woman deserves to know how her body works, to recognize when symptoms arise, and to feel confident in her inner voice. Because the pain, the mood swings, and the hormones are not your problem. They're your body's messengers. I am here to confront and change narratives around being a woman, being hormonal, and yes, PMSing. I'm your host, Brianna Villegas, and welcome to My Hormone Rants. Hey friend, welcome back. Earlier this week was World Mental Health Day, and I wanted to bookend this day with last week's episode with Lindsay Girk talking more about sort of the embodied experience of living with PMDD, the process of getting a diagnosis, and the journey to manage that in the midst of real life. And in today's episode, I want to take that conversation further and dive deeper into this connection between mental health and menstrual health. And in doing that, sort of tease apart these labels that we have for the female experience with PMS, PMDD, and the somewhat newer concept of premenstrual exacerbation, or PME. Because if we're looking from the outside, and even the internal experience can sometimes feel really similar between these three labels, but how we approach symptom management and relief is different based on where you fall within these categories. First, I want to talk about PMS because we throw this term around so commonly. It is defined as a combination of physical and emotional symptoms that many women experience between ovulation and their next period. The thing, though, is that the stats show that between 80 and 90% of women report having some PMS symptoms at some point in their life. This indicates that there's a big problem from a definition perspective, because if we have a syndrome that's so broadly defined that 90% of people who could be affected by it report symptoms, then essentially what's happened is that by introducing the idea of a premenstrual syndrome, that's defined so broadly, we have, in effect, medicalized the female experience. And I think it's so important that we start this conversation between this connection of menstrual health and mental health, that being a woman is not inherently a diagnosis. You're not destined to struggle and feel bad for a significant portion of your life. The other thing that I want to call out here is the conversation around if PMS is normal. A common thing that's being said in the holistic space is that PMS is common, but it's not normal. I've also used that phrase before. And what that phrase is really getting at is this idea that you don't have to accept feeling bad in your body for a portion or the majority of your month. But I want to flip this phrase a little bit and open ourselves to consider the fact that PMS is normal, but it's not optimal. And by that, I mean that when we look at PMS as something that is a label, a diagnosis, or something that is not normal, 
it feeds into this narrative that we're broken. Something's wrong with me because I'm having the mood swings, the bloating, the cravings. But when we shift this to PMS is normal, but it's not optimal, what we open ourselves up to is this idea that PMS is the exact way our body is supposed to react when it isn't being supported, when our hormones are not being supported. So by saying it's normal, I don't mean that it's good or something that you have to accept and live with as just this is this is my life. But it is normal in that this is exactly the mechanism your body has set up to give you the signals to show you where there's a problem and where there's a place to get curious and look deeper in ways that you're not physically supporting yourself. And this is really powerful because when we shift our perspective on this and say like, oh, this is my body doing exactly what it's supposed to do, instead of getting into this negative self-talk loop or this negative relationship with your cycle and your body, you can appreciate that your body is telling you what it needs. Unfortunately, we've had such a lack of knowledge and education around how our bodies work and how to best support them. So many women do not feel optimal or are not functioning optimally. And that's where this education around cycles is so valuable. Once you recognize that PMS is your body asking for support and you get that little bit of education to know that this is the type of support that my body needs, PMS It becomes this feedback loop. When are you overextending yourself? When is it just like we're in a hard season and having grace for yourself through that process that that isn't permanent. This is an ebb and flow. And if you are able to get back into that place of supporting yourself, then you can see your body regulate itself. The other problem that has come up from using PMS so broadly is that it becomes a reference point. So when we talk about PMDD, the most standard definition that you'll find on like medical websites and stuff is that it's a more severe form of PMS. So it puts PMDD on the spectrum, but without any reference point to normal, understanding what is run-of-the-mill PMS, What's this extreme version that's disruptive? Because you can get hormones that are so out of balance that the experience looks a lot like PMDD. But really, it's just your body has been lacking support for so long that they're no longer subtle symptoms and it becomes disruptive. And so having PMS be the reference point doesn't really do it justice and it doesn't help us differentiate between these root causes where PMS is directly related to whether or not your body is producing the right amount of reproductive hormones and the ratio between those. The International Association for Premenstrual Disorders provide a much more comprehensive definition of what PMDD is and is really helpful in distinguishing the two. So they define PMDD as a cyclical hormone-based mood disorder that have symptoms arising during the premenstrual or luteal phase of the menstrual cycle that subside within a few days of menstruation. 
And they make this distinction that while PMDD is directly connected to the menstrual cycle, that it isn't a hormone imbalance. So this isn't on the same spectrum as PMS. Rather, PMDD is a severe reaction to the natural rise and fall of estrogen and progesterone. And because it's this sensitivity, symptoms can appear or worsen around significant reproductive events, right? This can show up with the first period. It can also show up after pregnancy, which makes sense because each of these moments, these aren't just significant events for our bodies. But if you think about puberty, pregnancy and postpartum and perimenopause, these are all really sensitive transitions. We are not just undergoing physical changes, but the way that our brains are working and interacting with our hormones is also shifting. The other really important thing to note when it comes to PMDD, especially in linking it back to mental health, is that there's a significant overlap between PMDD and neurodiversity. Estimates suggest that 46% of women with ADHD will also have PMDD, and 92% of autistic women and menstruators will have PMDD as well. And I haven't found any studies that have looked at this more empirically, but anecdotally, I've also seen this pop up a lot in the highly sensitive community as well. These things all contextualize the experience of PMDD. If this is a hormone sensitivity, meaning that our brain is responding differently, it makes sense that people whose brains are wired a little bit differently would have a different interaction with these reproductive hormones. And this also points to the importance of bringing menstrual health and cycle awareness into this conversation of mental health, that this can't be set aside as like that that's just periods and fertility and pregnancy. It's all connected. And we've talked quite a bit about PMDD on various episodes of the podcast, of my experience and bringing in other people who've had this experience. But one thing that I haven't talked about in detail is premenstrual exacerbation or PME. And this is another term that is has been introduced more recently to try and tease apart the lived experience of menstruators while also trying to narrow down what the root causes are. PME is considered a worsening of symptoms during the luteal and menstrual phases of another disorder or diagnosis. So things like major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, even eating disorders. Or So the idea is that these things are present all the time. This is a constant struggle that someone is experiencing, but the intensity of it or the quantity of episodes or symptoms that someone experiences increases during the luteal and menstrual phases. So the important distinction here is that with PMDD, with the onset of menstruation, PMDD symptoms begin to subside, whereas with PME, the symptoms may lighten a bit. You may see a drop-off, but it doesn't go away. You don't get that same relief. And I think having this distinction and this idea that whatever it is that you're experiencing, 
can be impacted by where you're at in your cycle. So this isn't just valid for clinical diagnosis of anxiety, depression, eating disorders, things like that. This can also be relevant for seasons of life where you may be in a heightened state of anxiety or depression. Maybe you're in a season of grief and loss, or maybe you're dealing with a sick child or a sick parent. And I think it's really valuable for us to understand that even though our female hormone pattern is the same, right? It's the same process, but how we experience this pattern is highly influenced by our life experience, our sort of baseline capacity, any other mental or physical health struggles that are layered on top of that, how our brains are naturally wired. And those can also be impacted by trauma. Our hormones and our reproductive system is so intertwined with the rest of our body, with our nervous system. This all goes into how we experience our cycle. And it also influences the way we go about rewriting the story that we have with our cycle, with our body, to find that balance between acceptance and allowing ourselves to feel safe and supported while also branching into taking action steps that are going to lead to a more optimal experience. Some ways that I think that labels like these can be really useful is that they can be helpful in naming and validating our lived experience so that we feel more confident in explaining and expressing and honoring just what our life has been, what our experience has been, and can help us feel less crazy. These labels can help us find communities of other people who share that experience and help us to feel less alone in the journey and the process because we have the words to talk about it. We have um, that connection point. And it can also help us communicate our experience to our partners, our family, medical professionals, our friends, to the people around us. It can help us, you know, in academic and professional environments when asking for special accommodations. And by developing these labels, it can also help us in finding root cause solutions. One, you can Google it. You can see what's worked for other people. You can see what options are out there, what's available. But also having these labels and having this these definitions helps in research where we can have some criteria for who we're including and excluding and like the reason for why we're separating out this specific population and looking for solutions that are going to work based on this profile of symptoms and experiences. But labels can also be a lot to process and often requires this period of deconstruction where you are trying to understand what part of your experience has been you and what part is, you know, this this diagnosis and reintegrating that into, you know, who you are and how those things have been tied to your identity. And there's often this space between awareness of a problem and knowing how to move forward that can be really challenging. 
And this is why I believe so much in having a strong support system, whether that's through a coach, through therapy, through a strong community of other women who are in this experience as well, to help hold that space for you because it's a part of the process that can be dysregulating from a nervous system perspective. And so reading this information or hearing these things and do you find yourself just sort of zoning out? Um, Do you find yourself feeling really activated? Like I need to take all these action steps. I have to do all these things. I'm so behind. If you start to feel yourself fall into this like overly activated or overly checked out place, reaching out for help and support in that process is so valuable. I highly encourage you to share this episode in particular. I think it's one that everyone needs to know. Whether or not you are currently experiencing any of these symptoms, you will come across someone, whether it's a friend, a family member, maybe a daughter, that goes through some of these struggles, primarily because our society is not set up in a way that's supporting women to feel and function optimally. And until that changes on a societal systemic level, it's on us as individuals and as small communities to really just support one another. And so I guarantee that there's someone in your circle, there's someone in your life who is experiencing this and doesn't know. And honestly, I believe sharing this information is one of the biggest women supporting women flexes there is. Okay, so I know this has been a little bit heavy. I was just watching uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days the other day. And so I feel like the character who is, you know, always telling her behind the scenes, like kind of scary stories, but there's somehow always upbeat. And I feel like that with this episode, like, okay, we're talking about hormone and premenstrual disorders, which is kind of scary, but surprisingly upbeat. And I think the upbeat part is that from a place of awareness that these things exist, from a place of self-awareness of how they exist for you, you can actually take action and actually see a change in your experience. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more great episodes like this one, subscribe on iTunes, follow on Spotify, or wherever you listen, and be sure to share with someone who could also benefit from this information. And if you want to learn more about how I can help you stop normalizing your symptoms and start optimizing your experience, head to BriannaVegas.com or find me on Instagram at BriannaVegasCoaching.